Welcome to TCN Talks. I'm your host, Chris Como, and the goal of our podcast is 15 to 20 minutes of relevant need-to-know to help you in your role as a hospice, palliative care, and serious illness leader and team member at all levels of the organization. So our goal is concise and relevant need-to-know for you and your role. And the bookend of our podcast is always something to make you think deeper about our topic or just about life itself. So our guest today is Dr. Janet Bull. Welcome, Janet. Hi, Chris. Good to be with you. It's so good to have you, Janet. And so, Janet, tell our audience, what do they need to know about you? Well, I started my career delivering babies and bringing people into this world. And I've kind of ended my career in the opposite, opposite end of things. Well, well, Janet, I have had the unique privilege and honor about 25 years of my career. Most of it's actually been spent working with you. And I think you and I still remember the moment that we met. It was that check at the desk at Four Seasons Inpatient Unit, the Elizabeth House. And your creativity, your energy, um, it was just magnetic. And I thought, man, I'm going to take this opportunity. Just I think it would be a wild ride just to work with this lady. And it definitely has been a cool and wild ride. And just it's been an honor to work with you, truly. Thank you, Chris. It's been an honor to work with you, too. Well, Janet, and one of the things that was honor for many reasons, I think you've made me a better person but your innovativeness, your creativity has just always been inspiring. And there's so much that you've done in the industry um, over your many years. And you still have years before you, but this is probably a little bit of a season where you reflect back. And so I bet you probably have reflected back. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today. So as you think back on the innovations that you were a part of, in many cases where you were probably the um, kind of seminal or the incubator thought on, what are some of those innovations maybe you're the most proud of? And then also, what do you think were the learning lessons from them? Oh, great question. So I think the first uh, first innovation that we really started working on in probably 2004 was quality. How do we know that we're delivering good quality care? Uh, because really, we weren't doing much measuring. And so one of the lessons I've learned is how to pick good collaborators. So I, I started that uh, project working with Amy Abernathy, who you know, who's gone on to do great things. And, and I learned so much from her. And we put together a tool with, a, with many other people that has now uh, morphed into uh, a clinical data registry for our field, the Palliative Care Quality Collaborative. Um, what I learned from that project is it's a little bit more complex than sometimes I originally thought. Um, And so I've learned to, I think, think things through a little bit more and make sure that I have some really detailed people on my team because I tend to be pretty visionary. I think the second innovation I'm most proud of is our work um, with telehealth and remote patient monitoring. Um, It's often not what happens when you're seeing a patient or they're coming into clinic or doing a telehealth visit, but what happens in between those visits when a patient goes into crisis and often ends up in the emergency room or the hospital. Being able to follow them, their symptoms, what their needs are at that time, that point in time, having it monitored on a clinical dashboard so you can get to that patient at the time of their crisis in real time uh, alleviates them from going and using the healthcare system in the way that often is not productive. Uh, The third thing I'm most proud of is our work in pharmacogenomics uh, and really trying to customize medication 
uh, to a patient's uh, way that they individually metabolize medication. Um, there's still a lot to be learned in, in that arena of, of genomics and individual uh, patients and needs, but I think we're starting to ask, trying to find out what the right questions are to ask. That, Janet, you you were involved in a study related to that one as well, right? Specifically related to pharmacogenetics. Um, what was what was some of the outcome? And um, I've also heard you tell a story about just you personally, of kind of uh, how this you could even see how this impacts your life. Just unpack that a little bit more. Sure. So we were fortunate to get a grant to enroll a hundred patients. We we did this with Russ Portnoy's group at Metropolitan Jewish. Uh, uh, hospital system. And what we did was we looked at a patient's uh, genomics and how they metabolize different medications. Um, the whole idea and purpose of this study was to see if the providers would use and recommend a clinical support pool that the pharmacist would give them after reviewing the medications, after looking at the algorithms uh, and making recommendations uh, on those medications. So it was really testing the feasibility of the system. And what we saw was that indeed the physicians were unanimous and the nurse practitioners who enrolled in the study were unanimous in finding it a very helpful tool to help them guide medication management on an individual basis. As you envision and peer into the future, what are some applications that you see for pharmacogenetics? Well, first of all, you're going to be able to get whole genomic sequencing. You can right now for $299. That used to be 100000 in the beginning of, of the 2000s. So um, it's really coming down in price and applicability. So I think that you're going to see uh, this tool being offered as a way, and we're seeing it also in, in cancer research. Uh, now, so testing certain uh, tumors, uh, seeing what their proteins that they're putting off on, what they, how they might respond to different chemotherapies. So it's really more of an individualized approach. I think genomics is one of the tools of the future. I think technology is another uh, tool of the future, combined with that human approach that we use in hospice and palliative medicine. So that high tech high-touch approach, I think, is where we're going. So the three so far has been quality, it's been telehealth, and then pharmacogenetics. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned palliative care because that's one of the things that, you know, when I first met you, in fact, I hadn't even started my job yet, um, and you were telling me about this concept of palliative care, and this was 2002. Um, was that deliberate or is that where you were going there next? Well, I, I'm, I'm already past that. I feel like we started to crack that nut in the early 2000s and palliative. So I, I believe all of these uh, interventions throughout the hospice and palliative care service line uh, will be beneficial. So as you know, I'm a huge believer in, in palliative care. And I think that it's the kind, just like hospice care, I think it's the type of care that people want. Um, really focused on what people's individual needs and desires are and paying attention to things that are bothering them, their symptoms, what's causing their suffering, and really trying to align care to deliver the best possible quality of life we can for that patient and their family. What What are some innovations you see specifically in palliative care besides those you just mentioned, Janet, of you, as you can appear into the future? Yeah, I think, you know, 
making sure that people can age in place. So using technology around uh, sensors uh, to prevent falls, ways that people can, you know, you can use temperature sensors. You can, there are all kinds of innovative approaches that you can use uh, to keep people safely in their home. Uh, you know, uh, actually uh, Best Buy is now um, piloting a, a, a app and a subscription service where people can, if they're concerned about an elderly relative who's living alone and doesn't have somebody to check in on them, they can be part of this service that they're testing. Like the, like the Geek Squad is Health Squad. So I, I think that there are a lot of innovations that we're going to see coming from places other than healthcare, from our technology friends like Google and Apple and Amazon. Um, and I, I think we have to think when, when we start putting on our, what's the next innovation uh, for us? We really need to put on our thinking cap and say, how do we combine uh, the people in the field that we may not be accustomed to working with, the engineers, the designers, the tech designers? How do we come together uh, as a group to really help deliver the best possible care for folks? Well, and Janet, again, I know you're you're still hopefully going to be working in the industry for many more years, just maybe not quite the crazy hours you have in the past. But if you had another 20 years and, and resources were no object, where would you put your time, energy, and effort specifically in healthcare? Well, really what I'm interested in now, Chris, is, is lifespan, which is really quality of life at the end of life and, and really helping to make sure that we can keep people from getting frail, right? Um, because we know uh, as people lose muscle mass, as they get older, they get more susceptible to disease. Uh, and so really studying what are the, you know, whether it's a supplement, whether exercise program, uh, cognitive um, skills that people can develop, uh, even in their, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Uh, I, I think that's, that's something, a field of research I'm very interested in right now. Do you, Janet, that, um, you, were, you recommended that book to me, Lifespan, and that was fascinating. Yeah. Um, and it really is kind of um, like a different field. Have you bumped into people in the serious illness realm that are thinking around that in that area or not so much? Not, not so much yet, uh, but it, it's certainly something that I'm starting to put out those feelers. I need to gain some expertise myself in, in that area. Um, I think the other thing that I'm interested in is really this concept of design thinking. You know, how do we put together, um, you know, you almost have to start with a beginner's mind. You wipe out everything you know uh, about healthcare and, and really remain open and curious uh, about how we can develop the best healthcare for people. And I think uh, the three core activities, and, and I know we've talked a little bit about IDEO and, and what they brought to the table, but I think having that ideation, uh, the dreaming, the creativity stage, uh, the inspiration and the uh, implementation stage, putting those together, working with collaborators who are not necessarily in healthcare, um, I remember when I was touring colleges with my youngest son, uh, the college I was the most impressed with was the University of Richmond because they brought all these different fields together, uh, engineers and 
pre-med students and chemistry majors and physics majors. And they, they had this kind of learning center where people could learn from one another. And I think sometimes we get so uh, tunnel vision because mm-hmm. we know what we know, you know, right. basically from our previous experience. And we, you know, we're not trained in technology and some of the engineering concepts. And so I think gathering a group of people together from diverse fields um, could be very powerful. Uh, Janet, that might, if I could give an idea for you for the future, in fact, you know, a friend of mine, Dr. Lethe, who's now passed on, he gave me that vision years ago where he used to take, just like you described, multidisciplinary folks, and they'd have a, like a conference once a year. It was almost like a TED Talk without the talk, but more of that kind of meeting of the minds. That would be an awesome thing for you to facilitate. Um, I also read something just a couple weekends ago of sometimes subscribing to journals that are outside your industry kind of simulate something like that. But man, to have like a day or a weekend of just a bunch of different disciplines, but in the context of the future of healthcare, that would be pretty powerful. In fact, you and I have talked about, so I would love for you to do this. In fact, those of you that are listening, I want you to get quiet and I want Janet to lead us through almost like a visualization exercise because We've now got listeners into the thousands, and these are folks throughout hospice and palliative care, Janet Sears Illness Care. So lead them through a visualization, and let's see what kind of ideas that might generate for them. Well, before I do that, Chris, I want to tell a quick story, because really this was what brought me into hospice and palliative care. Um, When I was uh, in 1997, a friend of mine who was actually our office manager in our OBGYN practice Uh, unfortunately got an autoimmune disease and she was dying in a very small cubicle in Emory Hospital and she had pretty much every you know tube and technology that man could offer and uh, it was it was a really difficult time she had a very large family nobody was really talking about what was going on but it was clear she was dying and uh, her blood pressure was probably uh, 30 over 160 Our pulse was 180. And so I did a visualization exercise with her. And we used to go to this. She and I had a love of this beach that we would go to down in the panhandle. So I took her to that beach and I told her it was okay to let go. And what was fascinating to me uh, was that over a period of about five or seven minutes, her blood pressure came, it totally normalized. Her pulse came down by 50 beats. And it was just this kind of peace that came throughout the cubicle. And we started telling stories about her, which is, as your audience is, uh, is a hospice and palliative care crew, no, no surprises there. But remember, I, w- I was an obstetrician now uh, in this uh, field. And it just, you know, the power of visualization, the power of that human connection, um, just made me want to devote the rest of my life into really what to me really mattered most at that time, which was helping people have a, a peaceful transition. And so, you know, as as we think about visualizing and how we use that in healthcare, what, what I would say is that if you all uh, can get in a space uh, where uh, you, you turn off your phones and your emails and you try to uh, take a few minutes breathing and get in a space where, where you can get into the right side of your brain uh, and where you think in pictures and, and, uh, and visualize 
what good healthcare looks like. What would it look like for you if you had a serious illness? You know, kind of think about drawing it. Uh, where would you be? Who would you want surrounding you? What things would be important to you and what things would no longer serve you? And how would you want the people who are taking care of you, your healthcare providers, how would you want them to interface with you? And what are the things that you would want that you don't see today in the healthcare system, in your own organization, in your own delivery methods? And I, I would start there and, and then I would kind of take that exercise and, and collaborate with your colleagues, because I tell you, um, no man is an island. And, and the other thing I've really learned, Chris, and I think you taught me this, uh, as, as well as many of the other people we were fortunate and have been fortunate to work with it for seasons, that it is a team sport. And we, uh, our ideas get so much better when we bounce them off each other. And we, you know, we kind of like a rough piece of wood. We may have an idea, but then it gets sanded down and then it gets polished. And then but the end product is always better than any one person's thought about it. So, you know, I, um, and, and if you are in healthcare and you're not taking enough time off for yourself, um, I have always found that my most creative moments and thoughts about kind of next projects or next thing I was excited about came when I was totally away work. When I was walking the beach or I was out on my paddleboard or out on a bike ride. So um, create that space for yourself so you can allow those things to happen. That's that's awesome, Jen. And I've just, following you, I just got three really clear ideas just in that little bit that you created. And um, in fact, I'd ask our audience, if you got any great ideas and you're willing to share, please just send them to my email, um, and we could also figure out how we can collaborate and make that come to fruition. But at a minimum, do what Janet said. Um, I've always believed, and I learned a lot of that from Janet, the most brilliant model of healthcare ever was hospice, and it is team-centered care. We are the folks who pioneered that, and it's interesting how other aspects of healthcare are trying to get better at that. And so we're always better together than we are individually. So Janet, any final thoughts you'd like to share? Oh, I just thank, I just want to thank everybody that's listening for the work you do. Um, it's been a really difficult year and hospice and palliative care has, have, you know, really been on the forefront of COVID and taking care of people in really difficult situations. So um, just my appreciation and uh, take, take good care. Well, well, Janet, and thank you. Um, again, I know you're not going anywhere. You'll still be around in the industry making an impact, but appreciate the impact that you've had on so many of us all around you. You've made all of us better and want to be better. My, my analogy is if I'd ever played basketball with Michael Jordan, I'd assume I would bring my A game, and that's the way I felt about you every day. I'm, I know i got to bring my A game, and it's been a great ride. Back at you, Chris. <laughs> well, and here's the bookend that we'll leave you with. This is actually a quote from a guy who Jen and I both knew, Dr. John Kanegi, and maybe it's even that next further thought of the um, kind of visualization, but the key to innovation successful innovation is failing fast and then being able to improve and change thanks for listening to tcm talks